Welcome to episode number 44 of the Road to Cinema podcast, featuring screenwriter Donald Margolis, as we discuss the new film The End of the Tour, starring Jason Siegel and Jesse Eisenberg and directed by James Ponsoldt. Adapted from Lipsky's book, although of course you end up becoming yourself, The End of the Tour tells the story of the five-day interview between Rolling Stone magazine writer David Lipsky and iconic author David Foster Wallace at the tail end of the book tour for the infamous book Infinite Jest. Margolis shares with us his adaptation process as well as his collaboration with director James Ponsoldt, who was one of his former students at Yale University. Also, his appreciation for the performances of Jason Siegel and Jesse Eisenberg, as well as why David Lipsky did not initially publish an article in 1996 that chronicled his time with David Foster Wallace. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. And don't forget, you still have a chance to win a free download of the final draft screenwriting software by following us on Twitter and Instagram, liking us on Facebook, subscribing to our Jog Road Productions YouTube channel, and writing us a review of the Road to Cinema podcast on the iTunes podcast page. That's right, do all of the above, and you will have a chance to win a free download of the Final Draft screenwriting software brought to you by Road to Cinema and our friends at Final Draft. And now we join screenwriter Donald Margolis as he takes us inside the initial development process for the new film, The End of the Tour, starring Jason Siegel and Jesse Eisenberg. journey began when David Cantor, who's one of our producers, sent me a copy of Lipsky's book, although of course you end up becoming yourself, with a note that said, uh, you know, I don't know how you feel about David Foster Wallace, but this book has come to us at anonymous content, and uh, take a look at it, there might be a play in it, or, you know, and David, knowing me and knowing that I'm primarily a playwright, uh, thought that I might respond to the subject matter, and he was right, and I, I started reading the book and became very excited at the prospect of its being a film, a road picture, uh, that uh, even though there's a lot of talk, it didn't seem to me that it would be best served uh, as a stage play, that there was something much more expansive and much more uh, visual about it, uh, and that the, the prospect of, of putting these guys, one of whom is David Foster Wallace, one of the great chroniclers of our culture, on the American landscape was a very exciting idea to me. Uh, when, when I read Lipsky's book, I, I, had not, uh, I was not a huge fan of Wallace, I'll be completely frank with you. Um, I, I guess I'm a, a little older than, uh, than Wallace would be. And um, when, he, when his, his, he first burst on the scene, you know, I think I, I, I tried to read Infinite Jest in the 90s. I didn't succeed. I've read many of uh, Wallace's essays, but until I read Lipsky's book and was given this window into who Wallace was and what his ideas were and hearing him express them in his own voice, I, I became very moved by the loss of this man. And it was then that I, uh, I returned to his work, read Infinite Jest, read everything that I could as I began to immerse myself in this adaptation. 
And uh, as you were going through the book um, and going through the transcripts of their conversations, was it difficult for you at all to edit that down and, and create, a, create a very narrow narrative to create a screenplay around? Well, that, the, the primary task was that I was given uh, this incredible uh, treasure trove of, of language, uh, these two intensely articulate guys. Um, uh, so I had this, this you know, just remarkable uh, uh, source material. And, uh, you know, the best analogy that I've been giving to this is that it's very, for me it's very much like the process of collage. Uh, my, my background is in visual art, and uh, I still do collage. And for me, adaptation is, is much like that, where you're given source material, found material. And you begin to deconstruct it and create a new composition out of it. And for me, uh, the, you know, multiple readings of Lipsky's book uh, and sort of paring it down and paring it down thematically uh, in terms of, um, you know, what, what transpired over the course of those five days in, in, in terms of the, the areas covered, um, I began to find a way to carve a narrative out of what was fundamentally not dramatic. It was a conversation. So, uh, you know, employing my skills as a dramatist, I looked for ways to create a, a dramatic structure out of something that was anecdotal. And, uh, and that, that was really the, the primary challenge uh, in, in visiting this material. Um, I, I relied solely on Lipsky's book. I, you know, aside from, you know, doing my reading and uh, reading D.T. Max's book really just to, to help fill in the biographical elements. But um, I never listened to the tapes. I chose not to listen to the tapes because I didn't want to be influenced by the actual uh, cadences when I was relying solely on Lipsky's book as my source material because I knew that I would have to you know, do some, some uh, reconstruct, deconstruction and reconstruction of my own. Uh, did you uh, ever interact with David Lipsky as you were working on the screenplay? Yes. Well, yes, I spent several hours with David Lipsky. Uh, uh, before I took on the project, and you know, when he was deciding whether uh, to, to move forward with giving his blessing to me to write it, which he did, and, uh, and we spent many hours together. Uh, uh, so Lipsky was, able, he, Lipsky was incredibly generous with his... his uh, you know, sharing his experiences, sharing his insights, and and for me, you know, one of the questions I had was what what was going on when the tape wasn't running? What isn't in the book? And uh, and uh, Lipsky was just incredibly forthcoming with me, uh, and was able to tell me of certain incidents that that he chose not to include in the book that he felt got in the way of his objective with the book, which was to really capture. Wallace. I mean, what I did in, in my retelling of Lipsky's telling of his encounter with Wallace was I, I made Lipsky the protagonist. Lipsky is now in the foreground. Uh, it's, it's really about a young, aspiring writer who encounters a contemporary of his, only four years older, who has achieved everything that he would hope to achieve in the literary world. So that, for me, became the point of entry for the end of the tour, was viewing it subjectively through David Lipsky's eyes. Uh, and really David Lipsky's uh, interpretation of David Foster Wallace, in a sense. Yes. 
Yes, this is, you know, I think that, you know, when, when it was first announced that this, this film was being made, you know, there was some misconception that it was going to be a biopic. And that, that is not at all what I set out to do or what, what James Ponsolt and I were in instant agreement about. This was not going to be that. This was going to be a portrait, uh, a rendering based on David Lipsky's uh, uh, subjective experience. Uh, nothing more than that. We, we were not going to do any dramatizations from David Wallace's life that uh, was beyond the parameters of the, those five days, which was an exciting challenge, narratively speaking, but it also was for us a way to capture some essence of, of this incredibly uh, 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 brilliant man who is no longer with us. Uh, you know, and another challenge of ours was to make it accessible to people who knew, not, knew nothing about Wallace or knew very little about him or knew only that he wore a bandana and that he killed himself. Um, so, you know, so one of our objectives was to, to simply tell an interesting story and uh, a universal story of, of people who uh, admire others, want the approval of others, um, I think I think you know that is, is sort of at the essence of the story. Um, I don't know if you would be able to answer this, but um, do you know why David Lipsky didn't initially publish an article in Rolling Stone? Yeah, you know, I, I in fact uh, I saw David the other day, and he he helped to uh, elucidate this for me. Um, he, uh, there, there was a story, there was a breaking news story uh, that involved, um, I don't remember the particulars, but it involved uh, the heroin trade in Seattle. And uh, it, it also touched upon the, the death of, uh, of, of uh, a musician. And he was dispatched by Jan Wenner to Seattle right on the heels of his five days uh, with David Foster Wallace. And uh, Lipsky ended up immersing himself in that story for, I think it was a month, up to a month. So by the time uh, Lipsky would have gotten back to the Wallace story, the, the shelf life of it had passed uh, in the eyes of, you know, in, in the journalistic world, uh, you know, it seemed, it seemed like it, it, it didn't have the same currency that it would have had a month earlier. And, uh, and so Lipsky didn't write it. He didn't. He didn't write about the experience until Wallace's death, when he did reflect on this experience in an article in Rolling Stone that won a National Magazine Award, and which became the impetus for the book. Uh, what's What's touched upon uh, in the film, as well as uh, is David Foster Wallace's history of uh, mental illness, and um, sort of some semblance of how he passed away, which was uh, suicide. Did that in any way interpret how you wanted to portray David Foster Wallace in the screenplay at all? Or uh, was that ever an element? No, that... I mean, well, you know, I think that, that we all, you know, from, from you know, people we spoke to who, who, who knew him, uh, uh, Lipsky's experience, was that Wallace was a very funny guy. He was, a, you know, an incredibly witty, uh, sardonic sense of humor. Uh, and wanted to capture that and not simply, you know, the angst-ridden, tortured writer sitting at his desk, you know, tearing paper out of the typewriter and crumpling it. Uh, that, that wasn't at all what we wished to do. I mean, it, it, in the course of these five days, we never see Wallace actually writing. This was, you know, the, 
this was the, the book tour uh, part of his life when you know uh, it, 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 it you know a book tour for any you know for, for any uh, any writer any artist who's on the road uh, becomes pretty all-encompassing uh, so that it became the event for this particular exploration. It doesn't mean to, to be, to, you know, to suggest that this was his entire life or we're trying to sum up who he was or what the mystery of, of David Wallace was. We don't do that. It's really about the quest for understanding, not that we present any sort of uh, conclusion about him. Uh, but what I discovered in multiple readings of the Lipsky book was how much discussion there is about uh, uh, depression and suicide, that it's, you know, just was kind of woven in even casually in, in the course of their conversation. Uh, you know, there's a lot in Lipsky's book that's, you know, that's more shop talk, more, um, you, you know, more parlor talk uh, about other writers and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I, I tried to keep that to a minimum to, to preserve the, the universality of the story. You know, I didn't feel that we needed all of that to capture um, the essence of, of this encounter. Uh, I was curious, too, about your collaboration process with James Ponsel, uh, who you mentioned was also a student of yours at Yale. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you think it was about him initially that um, sparked his interest in the project? And also, what was his point of view as far as how he wanted to execute the screenplay? Well, you know, uh, my... Uh, my experience of, of James when he was a student was that he was uh, an incredibly smart, kind of uh, kind of omnivorous intellect, and uh, he he was an impressive student. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've had many students with whom I've kept in touch, and James was certainly one of them. Um, so when I finished the script, uh, I had reconnected with James around that time. Uh, over Smashed. I had written to him after I saw Smashed because I was so impressed with the work he did. And uh, when I finished the script, I thought of him. I, I thought, based on my knowledge of him, when he was a young, aspiring talent, and here he was on the verge of a tremendous career, it was clear that he was. Uh, and I just had a hunch that, even though I wasn't certain, he seemed to me to be the kind of uh, uh, thinker of his generation who would have been uh, very affected by the work of David Foster Wallace. So I, re- I remember sending James an email saying, I don't know how you feel about David Foster Wallace, but uh, I've just written this script f- based on David Lipsky's book for anonymous content, and if it's a- at all interesting to you, I would love for you to read it. And he read it overnight. Uh, he responded to it enthusiastically immediately. And we really began our, our collaboration then. Um, the, the script really went through very little changes, I have to say. James had some very smart cuts to make. And, uh, but there was no, re- no serious reconsideration of the script. He, he respected the integrity of the structure and the uh, scope of the story completely, you know, uh, understanding exactly that his job was to kind of get out of the way of, of two terif- terrific actors that we had to cast in these roles. Uh, you know, and then the kinds of changes that were made as we approached production were, many of them were uh, budgetary changes.
changes. You know, of, of losing certain shots, of losing certain exteriors, um, uh, and you know, so those contingencies, you know, uh, had an impact on how the script needed to be tightened for economic reasons. Uh, watching uh, the performances in the film, uh, Jesse Eisenberg and Jason Siegel, you know, they, they have so much dialogue that they have to go through and, you know, so much nuance. Uh, was there any rehearsal process that you were aware of that, had, that took place before uh, actual shooting began? No, you know, there was no rehearsal. There was no time for rehearsal. There was no budget for rehearsal. Jason was just finishing his series. I think he finished his series on Friday and he was on location on Sunday, something like that. Uh, Jason and Jesse had not known each other before this movie came along. Uh, I think they may have had one dinner together before they actually started shooting. And um, I think it really for us was the, you know, the, the alchemy of casting, which I certainly know working in the theater for 40 years, that, uh, you know, it's, it's such a magical thing when it works. Uh, it, it doesn't always work. Uh, and I think that here we were blessed with two actors who were very well cast um, and who had just sort of a, the intrinsic uh, elements of these intellectual guys. I mean, we're very fortunate to get two intensely smart guys, Siegel and Eisenberg, who are also writers, and uh, you know, Jesse's a playwright, and Jason is a, a novelist and screenwriter, and um, they certainly understand the concepts that are being discussed. Uh, and, and the language, you know, my version of David Lipsky's scrupulous uh, uh, transcription was challenging to, to an actor, but they were extremely respectful of it. You know, the, the speeches are, uh, in some cases, they're, they're amalgams of speeches throughout the transcript. A single speech may have come from three different sources, in other words, uh, during the course of those days. And I wanted to preserve the, the uh, seeming improvisation of those speeches. You know, and there are some very long ones, but the, the sort of the convolutions of speech and the way that you know, intensely bright guys are constantly editing themselves as they're speaking. And uh, all of that needed to be captured by two verbally dexterous actors. And boy, did we land them with Jesse and Jason. They, they have tremendous skill with words. They understood what they were saying. They respected the rhythms of the speech uh, really just, just precisely. Uh, and and that, that, too, is extremely... Uh, you know, just serendipitous that we we lucked out with the casting. Uh, no, it's incredible. They have uh, they have such a great chemistry together, and uh, you know, especially yeah. with Jason Siegel, the the nuance of his performance uh, is just really incredible. It, it really is, but you know, I think that you know, Jason has gotten uh, most of the the lead story is really about his taking on this very complex dramatic role. But I I think uh, he would agree with me that. Um, Jesse's performance is, uh, is, is really stellar. I, you know, I think it's, you know, arguably, yes, it is within his, his wheelhouse, but he's never done it this well before. He's never, he's never had this kind of uh, emotional, intellectual, uh, empathic performance before. You know, I, 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 the more I see the film, the more I admire Jesse's contribution to it. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, the, the, 
the thoughts that fly past his eyes, you know, the, the little registers that he's able to convey, I, I think are so impressive. Yeah, I think especially, uh, you know, seeing the arc of his character through the story and how he, you know, goes through so many different emotions uh, with David Foster Wallace in terms of how he feels about his own career. Uh, you can see that, you know, yes. play out subtly through the film. Yeah, and, you know, look, they, these scenes really gave them tremendous challenges because, you know, it's a, it's a little bit like watching a tennis match with two really expert players. And how, you know, one volley leads to another leads to another. And the shifts of power and, and uh, one upmanship shifts from response to response. And, uh, you know, I think that's part of the excitement of it. I mean, yes, this is not a, a, a car chase sort of movie. But um, there's a lot of uh, subtlety and uh, certainly subtext that, that permeates the film. Uh, you've had a you know a spectacular career as a playwright, uh, a Pulitzer Prize winner. I'm curious for you, um, is there a difference in your process from writing a stage play to writing a screenplay? Well, you know, most of the work that I've done as a screenwriter, and I have written many screenplays uh, that have not been made. I'm one of those guys. Uh, you know, I've for for 25 plus years, I've been a writer for hire in Hollywood writing movies that are, have mostly been adaptation. Uh, my original ideas tend to emerge as plays. It's, it's really just the way that is, uh, the way that I'm wired, I guess. Uh, but with, with film writing, um, I find that I, I really relish the opportunity to, to do some problem solving. It's, you know, how do you solve this, the puzzle of making this seemingly undramatic material, for instance, um, dramatic. How do you find the, the, a narrative arc that is going to make it a compelling story? Uh, that is, I find that re really challenging and really fun. Uh, and it, it, it is different from uh, you know, creating a play from the ground up. It's a, it's a, it's a different kind of skill set. And do you find that you outline more when you're writing a screenplay compared to writing a play? Yeah, I probably do, but not not in any kind of uh, you know I've, I, I you know I ad, I've adapted all kinds of uh, you know challenging fiction like Jeffrey Eugenides' Middlesex that sort of thing. Tom Wolfe's A Man in Full. These are big, complex books, and uh, certainly you know sort of uh, uh, doing the the index card uh, technique certainly is helpful, uh, just to kind of keep keep these these ideas. Uh, uh, you know, to make them tangible so you can actually move them around and figure out you know, uh, juxtapositions for them. Um, so, yeah, I, I, do, I do use index cards. You know, with the end of the tour, it was, um, you know, built into the Lipsky book was, uh, you know, leaving for the trip, the trip, and coming home from the trip. You know, so th there was a, a kind of natural through line in the, the, you know, the confinement of those days. You know, the story was confined to those days. So within those days, I needed to sort of uh, weave together a narrative that had dramatic tension, and that really became a matter of selecting where to reveal certain things. Uh, uh, so, so that, you know, that became uh, not so much something that I outlined because there are little shifts in the writing, as you, you probably are aware, that... Are, are tiny plot points, so they're not really something I could even have 
you know, made charts for. It really was a matter of constantly reading through it, reading through it, reading through it, and uh, finding uh, finding ways to, to tell the story as effectively as possible. Uh, lastly, I was just curious, uh, when you saw the final film, was there any moment that you felt was elevated from when you had originally conceived it in the screenplay? Uh, you know, something that the actors did that really uh, brought to life uh, uh, sort of any particular moment? Well, you know, well, I have to say, when I first saw the film, I was thrilled by it, um, because it was my first experience as a screenwriter, where what I saw on film, I wrote it. How often can a writer say that? And, you know, and I attribute to, you know, James's uh, just uh, talent and, and the, the, the respect and confidence he had in the script. Uh, but I, moreover, it, it, it had the texture and the sound of, of what I'd hoped it would. There's nothing intrusive about it. There's nothing or tour about James's handling of it. So I, I have to say that that, that was incredibly uh, moving to me. Um, there, you know, yes, there are certainly moments that have a, a power on screen that I'd hoped they would achieve, but they do uh, tremendously. I'm thinking uh, right now of... Uh, the scene between the guys on the airplane where uh, Wallace is talking about his, his crap jobs and uh, you know his being a towel boy at a local shishi uh, country club and, uh, and how that was the kind of nature for him. And uh, the Lipsky character says, you know, was this, was this before your suicide watch? In a very offhanded way that is kind of heart-stopping. And it, it plays in such a way that I've, I've heard it now in front of an audience several times, and there's an audible gasp on the part of the audience because it, it, it registers so powerfully on screen to see the looks on these guys' faces and to take the pause, really trust that pause so that the impact of it lands. Um, and, you know, and dramatically speaking, that's, kind of, that's one of those plot points. You know, that moment shifts the dynamic yet again. So yeah, that that really was kind of exciting for me to to see and to hear audibly an audience's reaction to yeah. that moment. Yeah, I feel like that's sort of the uh, such a, a crucial point in the film where they they get more personal and the the surface is really cracked and uh, David Lipsky is really trying to delve more into his psyche. Right, and you know, and, and of course woven into it is the uh, you know. I, I, I raised the stakes for Lipsky by making him, a, you know, a more green reporter at Rolling Stone who had more to prove. So, so really, just a way to, to ramp up the stakes even more, it, it, an external pressure coming at him as well.